we could probably start this show every week by saying, well, I haven't really seen it all, have I? Because it's a bad week to be a Smith, probably a worse week to be a Bancroft, but it's not a great time to be a Smith. I mean, Steve Smith, <laughs> you're giving all Smiths a bad name. Hi, everybody. Yes, it's Warren Smith and Matt Russell once again, and you can take me now. I have seen it all, and Matty, we never have seen it all. Cheating. Ball tampering in cricket, giving Smiths... Forget the Bancrofts. I'm just concerned about the Smiths. Steve Smith, what have you done to us? Scandal week was. Manly salary cap dealt with and the Australian cricket team. Their behaviour beggars belief. Just two questions. How did a group of leaders in the Australian cricket team think that A, this was a good idea, and B, we'll get away with this? With 38,000 cameras around the field... And the camera guys are all sports fans, you know, and they're pretty savvy. And I can't prove it. I have no clue. But I'm prepared to say there's a very good chance that this isn't the first time that the Aussies have gone down this path because the camera boys, I think, have seen something in the past or there's been a bit of a tip-off from somebody that something nefarious has been happening. And because all the shots of Cameron Bancroft and then the, the tape coming out of the pocket and then going down the front. I mean, it's all framed too well to be a bit of an accident. Like, it's not just one of those shots where it's a wider shot and if you zoom in here and focus on this little bit, you can see something. No, it's framed as if it's a movie. So somebody has known something or the camera boys have been onto it and it just goes back to the fact that the Aussies, not only are they cheats, they're really poor cheats. They can't even do it well. It's like the fine cotton ring-in affair, that famous racing scandal. Everyone was onto it. Clearly the camos knew what was going yeah. on. They're smart operators. We know in rugby league they know sometimes more than most of us. <laughs> and uh, it's a lesson to any sportsman when you have adrenaline pumping through your body and you think, hang on, I can get away with this. Just remember Stephen Smith and the Australian cricketers. You won't get away with it. There are very smart camera operators who are onto you and making sure your activities are being captured for us to discuss. We'll move on to footy in a moment, but I just want to just touch on the fact that in the time afterwards, I guess off the back of the result being known, Australia getting bundled out in the fourth innings and South Africa wanting to take a 2-1 lead in the series, that... Uh, the word coming out of the camp is, I think Tim Payne mentioned, that both Steve Smith and Cameron Bancroft are surprised at the level of the reaction um, get towards them and the team in general. They've obviously had no clue beforehand how this would play out if they got caught. And I think there's a bit of... Just living inside the bubble of this endless cricket tour. They go around the world. They play at home during the summer. Then they're off to South Africa. They come home for a couple of weeks. Then they're off to Zimbabwe. Then it might be Bangladesh. Just, they don't get outside the bubble. And this might be true of all sports. I'm sure we see it in rugby league at times. That they just have no concept of what everybody else outside their particular sport is thinking should something play out and we get caught doing it. I mean, it's just mind-boggling that they wouldn't foresee this sort of reaction from sports fans across the nation. They might have justified it in their head by saying, look, everybody has tampered with the ball at some stage. Every test-playing nation... I've got no doubt that's part of their thinking. And, and I wonder whether this series against South Africa has been so bitter. We've seen the David Warner clashes. We've seen the, the competitiveness between the teams. I wonder whether their will to win this series and silence the South Africans, who they clearly have no time for, blinded them from the reality about what would happen. But whatever excuse you come up with, 
it doesn't apply. It's not enough. The Australian cricket team held aloft by the Australian sporting public for more than 100 years to come up with this. Wow, they have drastically underestimated the reaction back home. And uh, I fear for Stephen Smith's captaincy. Surely he will never captain Australia again. And I wonder whether we'll see him uh, play for Australia again at test level. You know, I'm happy for him to play at some stage uh, down the track after he serves whatever suspension is deemed applicable. And for me... You know, it might be 12 months. I, I, I couldn't see him playing a test match out here next summer. I, I just couldn't see how that could happen, given what's happened and the level of animosity towards him and the team from cricket fans right around the country. So uh, once he serves whatever suspension, and I'm happy to say it's 12 months, then he can come back and be selected should his form warrant it. But he'll never be captain again. I'd give him 12 months for deciding to undertake the ball tampering, and 12 months for taking the rest of the team with him. Why not sit in front of the cameras yesterday and saying, it's my error of judgment. I lead this team. The blame is on me, 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 and nobody else, rather than saying, hey, hang on, it's the leadership group, and uh, maybe this person was involved as well. No, Stephen, you're captain of the Australian cricket team. It's you and you only. Yeah, they had a bit of a swing and a miss at that first press conference at the end of the day on uh, day three, as it turns out, uh, when it came to light what had transpired out there on the field and boys just a word for the future if you get caught doing something like that ever again it's hard to imagine I know but should you get caught ever again doing that put your hand up straight away don't have the coach of the team trying to hide a walkie-talkie behind his hand look up at the big screen realize oh poo I'm on the big screen, try and sneak the walkie-talkie out of view and then have this... I mean, the timeline was hilarious. I'm laughing because I Keystone can't believe it. Cops. Uh, uh, yeah, honestly. Peter Hanscom's down there on the, in the, on the bench, on the sideline. I'm on the walkie... Oh, now I'm on the screen. I'll pretend I'm not talking on the walkie-talkie. I'm just going to happen to run out on the field and talk to Bancroft. Yeah. I wonder what that conversation's about. How stupid are you blokes? It is so bad. It is so ridiculous. It has to be funny. And I can't believe we're talking about cricket for this long at the start of a rugby league podcast. Three rounds into an NRL season. That shows the magnitude of what's happened in South Africa. That's right. It didn't matter who you were, what you do, where your interests lie yesterday as it all was breaking. My God, the reaction was incredible. I was trying to get ready for the Roosters and the Knights. And all I can do is watch this endless loop of this stuff on on Fox Sports News and then be tweeting about it. The whole world was tweeting about it. It was that level of story. Um, wow, and I've still got some time to go. Anyway, let's calm down for a moment. Just chill out. Think yoga. Think calm blue sea. Calm blue sea. Yoga doesn't calm me down. Let's move on to something that doesn't get anybody's blood rising like salary cap cheating. Oh. Salary cap cheating scan- scan- is the story of the day. In the NRL, where Manly, in the last couple of hours or so, have been fined $750,000 for breaching uh, not so much the actual entirety of the salary cap. They've been deemed by the NRL the past couple of seasons to be inside the cap itself. But the way they've retained players and paid players with whatever is on their NRL contract, and then over and above that, third-party agreements, or maybe not even third-party agreements, just some very um, brown paper bag sort of activity, potentially. Um, they've been fined for that as far as their salary cap is concerned, 660000 for this year and for next year. So it's a whack there. Now, they may not even be 
at that point in the cap, I think they still have room to move. They're still hoping to sign somebody. I guess that maybe now they've been hurt a little bit by the fact that they've got $660,000 less to spend this year and for next year. And the way they played on Saturday night against the Rabbitohs, they don't need that off the back of that performance. Was your job and our job as commentators, to ride the emotion of fans at the ground. So let's look at this incident through the eyes of the fans. And I think largely uh, their eyes glaze over when they hear about big fines. They think, well, someone else will pay that. That doesn't affect me. When they hear about officials being rubbed out, who cares? They bore me anyway. What does it actually mean for Manly, if you're a Manly fan, in terms of your ability to win week in, week out? And if you're an opposing fan, what sort of challenge am I going to face for Manly because of this salary cap drama? You've summed it up there. They're not actually beyond the salary cap. That's why they have it lost premiership points and I I can understand that Uh, from a manly perspective it will hinder their ability to bolster their squad for the next two years because they've been fined $660,000 off their salary cap to be paid over the next two years so because of that they were in the market for a 5-8 having lost Blake Green the winner out of this is Croker who all of a sudden uh, his hold on that position is a little stronger and Trent Barrett's ability to go out and sign a player where he deems necessary over the next 24 months will be tougher. So they are restricted in their ability to climb out of the hole they're in by buying more players. That's what it boils down to from a fan's perspective. Yeah, pretty much. And I guess Trent Barrett will be hoping he'll have everything crossed, he'll have good luck charms going, uh, that Tom Travojevic and Jake Travojevic or Daly Cherry Evans don't get injured any time in the next couple of seasons because if either of one of those three go down for a lengthy period then Manly could well finish in the bottom two or three of the premiership race because that's how reliant I think now they they already were in my book, um, but even more so now that the fact that they really can't go out and spend and get that big marquee name like a Cooper Cronk um, should, you know, someone of that ilk be available uh, at the end of this year or next year perhaps. I think that takes that sort of player out of the equation for them and they now need DCE and the Travoyevich brothers to just or a young player like another Tom Travoyevich to emerge from their junior ranks because it's going to be a case of what have we got and building from within, not from without for them. Let's not leave uh, Marty Topau or Adam Vanua Blake out of that either. If they get injured or suspended, all of a sudden it's a bit skinny. So they need their players to stay fit, not suspended, and focused on uh, helping this manly team. Yeah, they were pretty average uh, off the back. I, you know, we spoke about the heat last week. Um, we opened the show last week by talking about how hot it was at Brookvale Oval when they thrashed the Eels 54 points to nil. I think that might have taken a fair bit out of them. You know, like I wouldn't be surprised that the Eels, you know, they weren't super again, but that, whether that's heat or just the where they're at at the moment against the Sharks. But Manly were very flat compared to where they were the week before. And, you know, the 40 degree heat, I know they had six days to get ready for it, but. That would take a bit out of any team, I think. And the highlight for me out of the Rabbits win was, you know, a, a debut NRL win for Anthony Seabold, something Dean Pay achieved also this round. It's a tough gig coaching, just ask Brad Arthur at the moment. So when a couple of newcomers come up empty across the first two rounds, I was relieved for them to see them get a win in round three. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, the Rabbits could have beaten the Panthers quite easily the week before. They could be easily now two and one. And I saw them train earlier in the season before they played uh, Wigan in the uh, the international games they played in the doubleheader that night. And, um, you know, I, I thought they'd be a, a good team this year under the coaching of Anthony Seabold, everybody healthy. If they stay that way, I know they've got Adam Reynolds out of action at the moment, but young uh, Adam Dewey, not Dwayhee, and we'll talk about that in a second, <laughs> um, has filled that role pretty nicely. He's a, he's a real talented kid, and uh, I think the Rabbitohs will uh, a definite 
top eight team if they play to their potential and they keep everybody healthy this year. Segway into name of the week. As commentators, <laughs> it's uh, one of our most important tasks to get the name right and to get the pronunciation correct. And last week, the name of the week was Jordan Rapana, as mm-hmm. he and his uh, mum want the name to be pronounced. It's taken a fair time. Did we touch on that last week? Rapana? Uh, maybe we didn't, but uh, that's what Jordan wants. He's been Rapana for so long, but always a niggle in the back of the mind that Rapana is the actual pronunciation, and, mm-hmm. and he's never been overly strong in enforcing that. But we pinned him down before round one, and he said, let's go with Rapana. So that's what it will be from this point on. And Beautiful. Same with Adam Dewey at a media conference last week. Someone asked him, look, I just want to check your name pronunciation. We thought it was Dwayhe, as is actually the case in it Lebanon. Is, that is, is the yeah. traditional pronunciation. But he said strongly, I've spoken to Dad about this. We've always been Dewey, and I want to be Dewey. To which someone followed up, so you want the commentators shouting Dewey as you race away. Yep, it's Dewey. It's definitely Dewey. Now, poor old Andrew Voss was the first one to call him under the new pronunciation and was hammered on social media for not doing his homework. Well, he'd done his homework and more. He'd actually got it spot on. And that's the hard part, isn't it? You can even mention it in the call, saying we've checked. He'd like to be called Dewey. We know it's Dwayhee, but he wants Dewey. And still, you can't win. Yeah. Well, well, I called that game when they played out there at ANZ in the preseason against Wigan, and I went to training. I checked. Yep, it's Dwayhe. That's how we say it. It's Dwayhe. No trouble. And then here we are in round three, and Dwayhe has morphed into Dewey because, you know, over time it's been anglicised, I guess, by people around the family, more so maybe than the family themselves, and they've just come to accept it, and they've just figured that's maybe easier because it looks a bit more like Dewey. You know, when you see D-O-U-I-E, it doesn't look like Dwayhe, but... There you go, and you know it, the way he has cut, become Dewey. So, if you hear Dewey, and that's all you're going to hear from now on, don't come screaming at us on social media saying you blokes don't know how you don't do your homework. Well, we do. I know. Do our I homework. Know. Give us a little bit of credit. We go and ask. We find out, and yeah. With the, with the Pacific Islanders, was I've had people saying, well, ignore what the player and his dad and grandfather want. You should call it the traditional way. And I say, no, sorry. If I want to be Matt Roussel rather than Matt Russell, well, that, I've got the right to be called I've Matt always Roussel. thought of you as Roussel, actually. Phil Smythe or, or you know, Warren Smythe over here. Well, I'm, I'm changing my name to Smythe <laughs> uh, at the moment because I don't want to be a Smith. <laughs> no. Maybe for a week or so no. anyway until Steve does the right thing and, you know, comes good. <laughs> Just don't call me Matt Rasshole. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that one. Now, so I mean, someone who has been playing very well over the past couple of weeks is a guy who that not that long ago couldn't say anybody's name because his jaw was broken. And Luke Keary has returned from that broken jaw in the preseason. And in combination with Cooper Cronk last night, off the back of what they did last week as well against the Bulldogs. But last night there was a big profile on the game against the Newcastle Knights for Mitchell Pearce, his return to Allion Stadium facing his old club, for the first time, and I thought Mitchell played a hell of a game. I thought he was very good in a beaten team, but it was the Cronk and Keary show. And having made that call, we mentioned this in the game last night, but having made that call, when you, you, Mitchell Pierce is an origin halfback. Now, I know he's had his critics, obviously, at that level, and rightly so, because there's been games where he hasn't played anywhere near the sort of form we know he can play at. But it was still a big call for... The Roosters to say, you know what, I don't think this guy can take us to that grand final again or get us a win in a grand final. We need to look beyond him, and Cooper Cronk's available. Let's grab him. Having done that, 
they would have been a little bit nervous off the back of round one when they went down to the Tigers. They looked pretty average. They were scratchy in attack. Um, the defence wasn't too bad, but they still lost that game to a team that was unheralded. Well, suddenly round two was a big improvement. And then last night, wow, the combination looks incredible between Kronk and Kiri. And there would have been a level of satisfaction in the sheds afterward last night saying, you know what? Well, I guess we were holding our judgment, but that would have been a little bit of uh, a tick in the box for, yes, we did the right thing. Rightfully, it was built up as Kronk against Pierce, but really, it was Luke Kiri. I love Luke Kiri. Tough, skillful. He doesn't look like a rugby league player. He gives every little, skinny, pale kid hope that you can become an NRL star. His pass for Victor Radley to score was fantastic, and... Week in, week out. He was fantastic last year. Let's remember that as well. And I was asking myself again, every club loses players. They look back and think, oh, I wish we might have kept him. South Sydney, looking at Luke Keary now. You know, wow. Get him back. Oh, I mean, what, yeah, what, what is Russell Crowe thinking, sitting there on Sunday night watching Fox League undoubtedly, maybe up there at Nana Glen, uh, inland from Coffs Harbour on the north coast of New South Wales. What's he thinking watching Luke Keary go around at the venue where all the drama happened and he said, that's it, I'm out of here. Luke Keary went down and sat at the airport until the first plane was <laughs> available to take off and jumped on it and that was it for him. I mean, you know, like they must be thinking, uh, and they've got a good player in Cody Walker, no doubt, mm. but Luke Keary, I mean, they had him. They had him there and couldn't work out how to make it work. Yeah, I, as I said, I love watching Luke Keary. Maybe Russell was in a good mood after the Rabbitohs won earlier in the weekend. He might have but... just been happy to see a man that he had a bit to deal with <laughs> yeah. go on and prove to be a success in his life and his footballing career. So, And along those lines, was we've spoken about the halves involved in the final game of the round. I, I, I loved watching Gareth Widdop yesterday. Five try assists, that's the career best for Gareth, and, and he was fantastic. He actually scored a try himself, so he had a, a role in six of the nine tries scored by St. George Illawarra, who I thought were aggressive, they were dominant. I know they might not have played a top-eight team in the Gold Coast Titans, but every week I see St. George Illawarra, I think they look better and better, and people will say, well, we thought that last year. Maybe, but they didn't have Ben Hunt, they didn't have James Graham. And along with that, there are other players who are, who are even more improved. So well done, Gareth Widdop. Well done, Sean Johnson, who wasn't dynamic for most of the game. But when it mattered, up he stepped. And for the first time in Warriors history, they tick or kick two field goals and win the game. So you go from Keary into Widdop into Sean Johnson and all this preseason talk about how important the sixes and sevens are and how much interest there is at the scrum base. Well, it's coming home to roost, isn't oh, it? Boy, in spades, there's no question about that. The Canberra Raiders, I don't know where to begin with the Canberra Raiders. They make me angry, actually, watching them sometimes. I'm calling them this week. On Saturday night, it's Manly versus Canberra over there at Brookvale, and it'll be fascinating to see what happens off the back of how they imploded yet again on Saturday. I mean, how tough can it be to be a Raiders fan? That's the third time this year they've done pretty something pretty similar to lose a game. Now, that was out of the box, what happened on Saturday, but they did this all last season. They've done this for a couple of seasons now, haven't they? I mean, they are the faders, not the raiders, and they continue to fade extraordinarily and continue to find new ways to do it at the back ends of games. I mean, I went back and watched the last five minutes of that game again just to sort of reaffirm in my own mind because as it was happening, you can't believe they're going to find a way to lose this. You lead 19-12, you've got what you would think, the six and the seven, to get you home, get across the line, just steer the ship around, and 
everybody else as well. It's not just the Haas and the five eights. Everybody working as a team to just lock down this game where you've worked so hard for 75, 76, 77 minutes. It all happened right at the death. So they get marched down the field, concede the field goal. The first field goal, if you watch that again, I'd encourage anybody to go back and watch the first field goal again because this is how it plays out. There's a play the ball which gets called back because a pass happened after the call of held. Yep. And so... That gives the defence time to get set, to get two markers there. It's the last play. You know what the story is. They trail by one. They're going to be kicking a field goal. <laughs> yep. You don't need Stephen Hawking or Albert Einstein Luckily. to work out what's going to happen on this particular play. Sean Johnson is at first receiver, and you know what's going to happen. So while the ball is being given back to the man who's going to play the ball, not one, but two Canberra Raiders get off the ground, run past the play the ball, and take up their position on the 10 metres in the defensive line, leaving one marker. Poor old Luke Bateman, who was tired. He played 73 minutes. He was fatigued, but he'd lost his mind or wasn't thinking, or nobody was talking to him also, because as the actual play the ball happens, having had all this time to get ready, he drops backwards, backwards towards his own line, away from Sean Johnson, not towards Sean Johnson, who kicks the easiest field goal to tie a game up I've ever seen in the NRL. Well, as you said, it made you angry, and let me tell you, you're still angry. What did Ricky Stewart say? I'll tell you what he said. He said several times. (laughs) And then they got marched down the field again, and it almost happened again. Do you want a pill? (laughs) What is going on in Canberra? Uh, Was I've just got Ricky Stewart on the phone. He wants you down there to address the team this week because he's asking the same question. One thing you didn't touch on there, despite the fact you touched on almost everything, the two sets to set up the field goals were identical. The Raiders knew what was coming. they just seen it. Yeah. And then it came again to the extent where Sam Lasoni ran exactly the same distance and line and, and, and with just as much effectiveness to set it up. So we were scratching our heads. Mm. Oh, I, I, yeah. And, and before the field goals, let's go to the try where they're on their own oh, line. Yeah. They've given away sets. They've made mistakes to get themselves back in their own 20 under pressure. And then Aiden Caesar just screams up out of the line, leaves the hugest hole, and they score the try, the Warriors, to give themselves a sniff. Well, it came back to when they played the Titans. Remember Joey Leilua was criticised for just reaching out haphazardly and slapping the ball down, giving the Titans a fresh set that set up their winning play, right? Yeah. Well, same here. It was a half-hearted reach, I think, from Jack White or someone in the ruck that didn't really achieve anything but just put everyone else off. And then Isaac, Luke, he won't score a softer try. Yeah. So it was the same sort of... Half switched on, half switched off. We've lost our way. We're deer in the headlights. What's happening here sort of play as we saw in round one, which then you extend to the broader uh, discussion about the fact that the Raiders slash Faders have lost three games now by a combined total of five points. You want to add their preseason trial when they played the Dogs? Guess what? <laughs> they got beaten the last 10 seconds. I'm and telling you, they've that- made an art form out of it. You oh. could go down to the Canberra Gallery, the National <laughs> Gallery, 
on the shores of Lake Burley Griffin, and there'll be a whole section, there'll be a wing dedicated to the Canberra Raiders and the way they find to lose games. The Ricky Stewart wing. What sort of painting do you reckon Ricky would have come up with on... uh on Saturday night. It would have been... Something like Pro Heart? <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a Brett Whiteley. Uh, very abstract thing with <laughs> syringes and lots of swearing and just words and asterisks and stuff. It would have been very, very messy. And, and if it's not bad enough for Raiders fans, they've lost three games to start the season against the bottom four teams from 2017. Yeah, you know, yes, that's the other and, point. Their draw is only getting tougher. And, and as they walked out in disgust... On the weekend, they were walking up the aisles, headed towards the gates. Sean Johnson, with seconds kicking down, just punted the ball <laughs> into the grandstands, straight into the backs of the Raiders fans who were walking <laughs> for the gates. So it's not bad enough. Your team's just been beaten from an unbeatable situation. You're wearing a steed in the back of the head, kicked by Sean Johnson, oh. who's already stuck the boot in on the field. That sort of stuff gives me a chuckle for some it was reason. Too, it was, Am I a sicko for you know, like, that? It was funny, but it was sad what happened. Oh. Uh, 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 are they gone? Uh, the, uh, three rounds in. Now, the great hope is that Josh Hodgson returns from injury at some stage. He's okay, but he's coming back from a knee reconstruction. I mean, it's going to take him some time to get up. Uh, you know, like if, it, if you said to me after three rounds, you have to name a team that definitely can't make the finals at this stage, I'm going to say with the draw that they've got from here on in and the way they continually find ways to lose games, the Raiders right now... I'm putting a red felt pen through them. They cannot make the top eight. Well, the optimists would say that we'll go back to 2015 when the Sharks and North Queensland lost their first three. The Sharks made the finals. The Cowboys won the comp. But as someone said, the Cowboys did have a bloke called Jonathan Thurston who is uh, sadly missing from the Raiders lineup at the moment. And even at the moment, uh, Brad Arthur has gone back and said, well, in seasons past, we've been two and four two and five and stormed home to make the final. So it's not the be-all and end-all losing games in March, but it does make it very difficult. And can they shake off this mental struggle that has plagued them now for more than 12 months? When the game is on the line, the Raiders seem to go into seizure. Yeah, I feel, I, again, I just feel sorry for their fans. Uh, it must be tough being, you know, in the greenhouse, the big uh, club fan base down there, or, you know, like Club Lime or what any other supporter group. I mean, it just got to be so tough. And, and, and I reckon Ricky's uh, mention of the obstruction rule post-game was purely to try and say, well, let's take this conversation away from what you and I have just been talking about. Let's yeah. make it the discussion about the obstruction rule, which I think they got right during the game. If you want to say, is consistency around the obstruction rule there? Absolutely not. But in terms of calling that try back for obstruction, the referees got it spot on, in my opinion. So Ricky was off the mark to say that should have been yeah. a try, but he was on the mark in terms of talking about the consistency of it, and I think he achieved his aim. Straight after the game, we weren't necessarily talking about why the Raiders can't win. We were talking about the obstruction. I'm hoping that that was the complete opposite. What happened in the press conference was the complete opposite of the chat in the sheds. I'm hoping Ricky didn't once mention the obstruction play because if you're going to... And Ricky's been known to do this quite obviously. Keep going to press conferences and talking about refereeing decisions. Uh, you know, if you just build this this um, culture around the club and the players that their mindset is, we always get screwed. doesn't matter how it plays out, but we always find a way to be on the rough end of the stick from the referees, then that will just feed into itself. Mm. And it just it's the wrong mindset. It's the wrong culture to build. And I'm hoping that what he said at the press conference didn't even get mentioned 
in the sheds because it didn't deserve to because there's a pattern there. It just keeps repeating. And until they find a way past that, they're not a serious threat. And further to that, I'm sure he wouldn't have ripped into his team like plenty of rugby league fans expected that he would have. I reckon they need a cuddle at the moment. Seeing a few Raiders leave the ground, I was at the car waiting for the rest of the Fox team to come out, and they were stony-faced. They, they looked like they'd just been told they'd never earn another dollar in their life because they were really struggling. I, I don't think the Raiders right now need to have the blowtorch applied by the coach. I think they need to cuddle. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. I mean, it's one way or the other, I guess. But, you, you know, you cuddle them enough, eventually they'll die in your arms. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's the case uh, as far as the Raiders uh, are concerned. Now, you mentioned the um, the obstruction call in that game, which, uh, like you, I think they got 100% right. Um, Ricky was talking... Let's, I mean, it's not TV, it's not radio, it's podcast, but we can. I think we can talk about it and maybe try and explain, perhaps, you know, the obstruction rule and the way we're thinking. Now, Ricky was talking about the inside shoulder, how, the you know, in his mind, if you run towards the inside shoulder of the defender... The block runner. It's okay. If that decoy man goes towards the line and contacts a defender, as long as he hits the inside shoulder, then in Ricky's mind, that's okay. But I can tell you, Ricky, the inside shoulder is just a bit of a term. It doesn't actually mean you can hit the inside shoulder. It means you can run that line towards the inside of the player, the inside shoulder. So in rugby league terms, you talk about the outside, running to the outside shoulder or the inside shoulder. It doesn't mean you can actually hit the inside shoulder. That line you have to run to be okay as far as an obstruction is concerned and to not have an obstruction called is towards the inside of that man defending in the line. And if you can draw that defender away from the direction of the ball, so if the ball is going to the right across your back line and the defender is going in the opposite direction, perhaps towards the goalposts, then that's okay because he's made the decision to go in the opposite direction of the ball and isn't going to be a factor in sliding across and maybe making a tackle. But if you either run straight through and the defender holds his ground and his eyes are still following the ball or is moving in the direction of the ball, and you stop him, whether you hit the inside shoulder, you hit him square in the chest or the outside shoulder, then that's obstruction. That's exactly what occurred on Saturday, and it was a 1,000% the right call. Yeah, let's make it really simple for fans. Luke Bateman pulled up in the line, stopping Bunty Afoa's progress towards Junior Paulo, and, and it was easy to call. So... You know, there are a number of indicators, aren't there, in terms of running through the line. That doesn't necessarily get you off the hook all the time, but it's a great indicator that you've not committed obstruction. And that, for me, was, was easy. The thing that's hard as a commentator to get your mind around, when you think you've worked it out and you see a try scored and you think, you know what, that's legal or that's definitely obstruction, and then the bunker goes against you, you start to think, hang on, I thought I'd work this out. I've done a lot of video watching and reading and talking and calling to referees, and all of a sudden, I've not got it right. How? Which takes us to Friday night. And there we are at ANZ Stadium. It's the Bulldogs and the Panthers, and we know what obstruction is. We've been doing this a very, very long time. I can't tell you the uh, conversations I've had with any number of heads of referees departments as they come and go. It's a bit of a turnstile. They go around the revolving door. It's Robert uh, Finch. It's Bill Harrigan. It's Peter Louie. It's Greg McCallum. It's Bernie Sutton Sutton as it is now. It changes. It changes. It's Tony Archer. I've spoken to them all for years. I've 
been through video with all of them. And we've had this, and interpretations have changed. We've been black and white. We've been a bit grey. We've been pretty lax. At the moment, I can't tell you with any confidence if I see an obstruction in the next game I do this weekend, how it will be called by the bunker because Bulldogs Panthers, excuse me, I'm a bit rusty after the weekend, but Bulldogs Panthers, Will Hoppawati contacts James Maloney who is following the ball. He's going to slide and try and make a tackle on Moses Mbai. He gets stopped by Hoppawati. He's able to still continue on. But he's at least one, if not two and a half to two metres from where he would have been had there been no contact. The referee, the bunker, says the contact was minimal. My God, if you can look up minimal in the dictionary and say that applied to that contact, what's minimal in terms of rugby league? Forget minimal. If there's any contact and it denies that player a full chance not a bit of a chance or a half chance, a full chance at making the tackle to save a try. And we see it all the time, don't we? We see players racing across. Mm. We saw a terrific one by um, David Norfoluma on Tom Opacek in the Tigers-Broncos game at Campbelltown in this exact fashion, sliding across and taking him out at the very last moment. Millimetres. There was one in the Roosters-Knights game last mm. night. Sean Kenny Dow denied a try by millimetres but it happens all the time. And Maloney's coming across, denied the chance to make the tackle on Moses and by, but still the bunker said, that's okay, the contact wasn't that bad, we're going to let it go. What the hell are they thinking? I'll tell you what they are thinking. Without having spoken to them, they're thinking, you know what, we can't just make it black and white because everyone screams. So we'll make it a bit grey again. Yeah. But then... You That's the that, point. Minimal you, equals grey. You have a situation like that. It's not minimal. It's not grey. It's black and white. He was denied a chance, a full chance at making the tackle. It had to be no try. So, boys, if you're listening, and I know you'd never miss a podcast, <laughs> but if you're listening, my God, get yourselves on the same page because in the Tigers-Broncos game, following that game, the same night, an hour and a half later, there's an obstruction on the field in the Tigers-Broncos. The referees on field, Ashley Klein, who came out of the pump later, mm. but he made the call without any video referee. It was the exact same play. He said obstruction. That was a great call by Ashley Klein in complete contrast to what the bunker came up with an hour and a half earlier in the game at ANZ. You've got to work it out, boys, because we're going mad, and if we get mad, we get angry, and then we start well, calling you names during commentary. I've got the Artaman RPA hospital on speed dial here because you might be in a ward in a minute. That's twice that you fired up big time. How would you solve it? Uh, so any contact, obstruction, I don't know whether that's necessarily a bad idea. Block plays bore me. Let's, let's revolutionise it anyway. The good clubs are getting away from that sort of play, uh, more and more, but how do we take this grey out of it so that they're not trying to think just, what sort of contact is it? What just sort apply of... the rule, the interpretation, if you like, as it's currently written, or certainly as it ha- was written in the past couple of seasons. If you go to the outside and that player, as I said, holds his ground, looks to the outside, or tries to move to the outside, any one of those three things, and there's contact on him then it's no try. Be, be it the brush of a shirt or be it a, a shoulder heavily into the chest. If Whatever he, the contact, if it's obstruction. If a chance to make the tackle now, you could argue, so where does that line between a chance to make a tackle and not being a factor 
evolved. Now, that's where your footy now comes into it. If the contact happens three defenders or four defenders in, and now people will say, well, that can affect the line because everybody's sliding and they're a chain. But if it happens well away from the ball on the inside, back near the post, and it doesn't affect the play as such, doesn't alter the defensive line, then it's okay. But anything other than that, it's a no try. And if you stand your ground and keep applying it that way, coaches and players will get the message because that's the whole point of the clampdown at the moment on the play the ball and offside. The reason they're standing their ground is they hope that the coaches and the players get it through their heads that we're not going to cope with you blokes jumping the gun or not touching it with your foot. And they'll win. The referees and the league will win that battle because teams won't keep giving away penalties. So it applies to the obstruction rule. Boys, stand your ground. Just apply it. Ignore the criticism from those who say, oh, that, that, there'll be no tries if we don't let that one go. Well, boys, there will be tries. There's plenty of tries. Please get on the same page and rule it correctly. Was let me calm you down. Let me calm you down. It's Easter this weekend. You yes, are set lead, for hot cross egg. buns and something. Easter eggs, but you're also set for three games, my son. So get the voice <laughs> uh, cooled down, warmed up, reloaded, ready to go, because uh, there are some great games coming up round four, Easter weekend, starting Thursday night in North Queensland, Cowboys, Panthers. Your first duty, Sharks, Melbourne, am I right? Yes, yep. Friday night, um, that'll be a cracking game, won't it? Rematch of the 2016 Grand Final. And, um, you know, at this point in time, you would say the Melbourne Storm are quite obviously favourites. They were pretty impressive in the 2017 Grand Final rematch against the Cowboys down there um, last week. So um, I'm going to say the Storm will be favourites for that one. The Sharks were better, I guess, against the Eels, although the, the Eels are no benchmark at the moment. They're no form line. So make of that win against the Eels what you will. Um, I'm going to say Melbourne should be too good. They'll start pretty warm favourites, I'd have thought, against the Sharks, despite being on the road. And the first leg on Friday, really interesting. Rabbitohs, Bulldogs, of course, both of them round three winners. They find themselves face-to-face on Friday. That's a tough one to pick, given that they haven't exactly set the world on fire, either club, but they are off a win. So who can go back-to-back? That's your uh, good Friday into Easter Saturday. Roosters, Warriors. Roosters, Warriors all of a sudden, you know, the Warriors unbeaten. The Roosters have found their form, and that, that, that's a beauty. Yeah, Roger Tuovasashek is this week's Mitchell Pearce. Coming exactly. back to play his old club. There'll be plenty of interest in that. And the Warriors, you know, I think the Newcastle Knights last night at Allianz found out where exactly they stand. While they've made an improvement, obviously there's still a, a way to go into being a team that considered a, maybe a top eight contender. I think they're probably, you know, outside that range at the moment. But... Um, for the Warriors, they've won three in a row. They can't do any more than what they've done so far. They going against the Roosters, and the Roosters forward pack aimed up last night. They were pretty good. Um, Jared Warrior Hargreaves coming off the bench. He might have been fired up by that. I thought once he came on off the back of what Siwa Taukayaho did, there was a great one-two tandem there. And the Warriors, I'm going to say they're outsiders for that game. They might sneak away with a win. I'm going to say the Roosters can get the points. But it'll be fascinating to see how the Warriors do go. Yeah, the Warriors, for the first time in club history, opening with three straight wins. Eagles-Raiders, the second game on Saturday. Uh, Trent Barrett's asking every fan to come and put 50 bucks into the fine tin to try and raise this uh, 750000 bucks. The Eagles have been fine. People might say there's going to be some sort of uh, resilience and, and you know effort from the Eagles because of the tough 
uh, sanctions handed down earlier on in the weeks. It's it's intriguing. The Eagles not going that well. Uh, if you use the last game as an example, and the Raiders, we know the hole there. And you're doing this game was. Yeah, well, you know, having um, <laughs> having given the Raiders a fair bait today. Um, it'll be fascinating to see how they go because they've got to win sooner or later. Well, do you reckon? I don't know. I mean, Manly are going to be looking to you know bounce back off what happened against uh, the Rabbitohs on Saturday night at ANZ. So uh, the Eagles at home, I'm not going to tip against them while ever they're playing the Raiders. There's no question about that, especially I mean, when they put 54 on the board last time they were at Lotto Land. Yeah, um, yeah and in regards to the the old well, you know, it's us against the world. They all hate us. We've been fined this amount and blah, 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 salary cap uh, sanctions for the next couple of seasons as well. That's all well and good until somebody elbows you in the, elbows you in the hooter um, <laughs> in the third tackle of the game and your thoughts of fines and whatever else are out the window. You're seeing stars and you're angry and you just want to belt somebody. So that means nothing. Well, as I'm doing Dragons nights in the gong, the Dragons love playing down in Wollongong. At the start of the season, we would have had North Queensland, the Roosters, Melbourne among our, our top picks after seeing the Dragons across the first three weeks. Where do you have St. George Illawarra now in 2018? I have them exactly where I I had them at the end of three rounds in 2017. Uh, going well. <laughs> we but know, there's well, a but coming. There is a but. We know what happened now. Ordinarily, if I hadn't seen last year, I'd say they're flying. I think they're the real deal. Now, I, I really do. I think they're the real deal. They've got speed. Wow. Widdop was incredible yesterday in that final 20 minutes of the game. He had it on a string now. Mm. The Titans, they were done. Yeah. They were out of gas. Um, they didn't have much to offer in that second half, quite obviously. So be careful about reading too much into it. But there's a look about the Dragons with Ben Hunt and that combination with Widdop. And they're just, you know, they've got time. They've got space. Dufty's electric. He's like Kalen Ponga, mm. maybe without the step. Ponga is something else I've got to tell you. Ponga is special. But Dufty is very, very good. Um, Nano McDonald's a giant. They've got some strike. Tim Laffey is the old Tim Laffey that yeah. you know, played well for the Bulldogs back in 2014. His first hat-trick for the Dragons. He got two for the Dogs. His first for the Dragons. Dufty also his career first hat-trick. So I've got them riding really high, and I like them. I think they're a good team. You know, James Graham has really, you know, the chemistry there off the field is as important as what's happening mm. on the field. But he's a good player on the field. We know that, James Graham. He's a real pro. He's the pro's pro. And they love him off the field down there as well. What he means to the team and what he brings is the sense that he has, um, and the way he just you know he's a he's a he's a bloke's bloke. There's no bullshit with James Graham. No. He calls him as he sees him, and I like them. I, you know, I think last year was in some ways you know disappointing for the Dragons fans. Quite obviously that they were look so good early on, one six of their first seven. I think they're better than that this year. Ben Definitely. Hunt's made a big difference. I think they are. They're a top four contender, no doubt. I know he's been doing it for a while, but I found myself chuckling even afterwards at James Graham running out smothered in sunscreen, you know. <laughs> Lily White. It's always a good look. Here he is in Toowoomba, you know, nearly 30 degrees, and I'm thinking, if he gets that in your eyes, it's going to sting, you know. Yeah. Sunscreen in the eyes isn't much fun. But back to the Dragons, I know they had a couple of hat-trick heroes, and Gareth Woodett was fantastic. My takeaway was their aggression. You know, throughout the game, I know they beating up on a team that didn't have much left in the legs. But from go to woe, 
they belted Gold Coast. Some of the collisions, and, and there were five players charged out of that game. Admittedly, three of them were, were Titans, but the, the, the way that the Dragons ripped into the tackles, didn't take a backward step, were happy to rough up the opposition, they're, they're, that, that was what I took away. You're not going to come away from a St. George Illawarra game this year without really copying a physical going over. Yeah, there's a bit of a resolve about them maybe that they haven't had at different times in the past. Last year, I think they were better. Um, there was a bit more starch about the forwards who've been under, you know, they've had criticism uh, probably in the seasons before that, but I think they've built nicely. And maybe Paul McGregor finally, uh, if there is a premiership window emerging for the Dragons, they've got it sort of half open at this point in time. And Paul McGregor finally, I think they've been waiting for someone like Ben Hunt to come, come along and make that difference. They've got the halfback they've been looking for for a couple of years now. And uh, he'll be feeling pretty good about things going into this game against the Knights. Broncos, Titans, I think we all expect Broncos to get the job done, especially after the Titans were beaten up the way they were. But the round finishes in intriguing fashion. Easter Monday, Tigers, Eels. Was again, you're the man behind the microphone. And a bit like, a bit like the final game of round three, Roosters, Knights. I, I, maybe we've saved the best until last year. Well, certainly one of the most interesting games going into this round four because, you know, the Eels... There's no way I would have said that they could do what they've done in the first three rounds before the season started. I mean, to be 0-3, to not even really look like being you know, in contest so far, um, the forward pack is just being dominated by everybody. The Tigers' forward pack has been really good so mm. far. They have, speaking of forward packs that have had a bit to prove in recent seasons, well, they're hungry and they're angry and they're mean at the Tigers at the moment. There's a real aggression about their pack as well. I think the Eels are in trouble again. Uh, they've got injury worries. Um, Bevan French with that shoulder problem. On top of no Gutherson. On top of no Brad Takalangi. On top of uh, Jared Hayne being out for a while now. The Black Widow. Sammy, where are you? Please come back. The Eels need you because Sammy at the start of the sets isn't there. And all of a yeah. sudden, the Parramatta pack is having a tougher time. So from the fullback to the halves to the pack... Brad Arthur has his work cut out. Yeah, that's why he's not sleeping and he's up until four thirty a.m. watching videos. <laughs> Five hours. Five, what a punishment! You, <laughs> you think the coach is on good cash? Do it oh. easy. Five oh. hours he watched the game back until four thirty a.m. in the morning. Oh, I feel sorry for him uh, after that loss against the Sharks on Saturday night. It's a tough gig. No, you don't want to be. You, you might think you want to be a coach. You don't want to be. I, I, you know, no coaches, quite obviously. I know plenty of assistant coaches. I know people who are former assistant coaches. And the reason they are former assistant coaches is because they are the guys ordinarily who end up at 6.30 a.m. the morning after a game getting still the there. Cut, no, not getting <laughs> the call, but they're still there cutting up bits of video into little parcels for all the players to look at the moment they get back together for the first run in the week leading up to the next game. They're the blokes who do all that legwork. I'm surprised Brad Arthur was up till that time in the morning. But see, that, that shows you where he's at. Mm. He's concerned. You know, he should be concerned because okay, well, they look let, average. Let's look at it this way. The Tigers across the first three rounds have conceded eight points, eight points, and nine points. How many do the Eels score against the Tigers this weekend, given it's three single figures so far, and they come up against a team in Parramatta that uh, is really struggling? Yeah, I've got them um, I've got them odds on to score less than 10 or less mm. against the Tigers, yeah. if, you, if you want to get on with me. Okay. Wasbet.com. Line, line up. Line up. Gamble responsibly. I'll tell you what. Please, gamble <laughs> responsibly. If you are gambling, and if you are betting on rugby league, should I You're, say this? No, no, don't. Should I don't, say this? No. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> but gamble responsibly if you do. 
Yeah, so there you go, your Easter weekend and, uh, you know, amid this cricket scandal and a bit of salary cap for Manly, the footy, while it hasn't been maybe breathtaking brilliance quality-wise, the talking points, the 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 Monday water cooler discussion has just been fantastic. Mm. I, I've really enjoyed the first three weeks. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, people have been talking about too many penalties. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, refs need to put the whistle away. Well, do they? Or do players and coaches need to learn and start behaving themselves? Or because you... Matty Johns took the approach that, hang on, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of penalties, yes, but there's one way to stop that. It's like if you're booked for speeding. Well, here's a tip. Don't speed. That's right. No, I'm, 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 I'm with the rest. Stay on side, boys. Get I'm, your hands off to play the balls. I'm Use right, your feet to yep. play the ball. Stay with the refs. I'm behind the refs all the way. So, Stick solid, boys. Keep doing what you're doing. So it takes 20 penalties a game for six weeks. We're happy with that? Absolutely. And then ultimately, for the back end of the season and for years to come, hopefully the game of NRL is even better to watch. Yeah. And the problem is, though, with your poor old Ashley Klein going back to Ashley. Yeah. You know, he blows. You he, I think he thinks there he sees go. a penalty. He calls the penalty. The refs get hammered for not blowing yep. penalties in Golden Point. Ah, oh, they never blow the whistle in Golden Point because they don't want to be the factor that decides the game. Yeah. Yep. So a referee finally blows the whistle, and you know it's potentially more than likely going to decide the game. It does decide the game, and he gets hammered from well, the well, top turnbuckle. He gets piled, driven into the canvas or the concrete. Everyone wanted to kill Ashley Klein. I mean, you know what? And he may have got the call right. He may have got the call wrong. The league came out and said he got the call wrong. I know people who are still saying, well, I think he got the call right. But either way, it doesn't matter. And I think he probably got the call wrong from my point of view. I think he probably got the call wrong. I, But you know what? I don't mind that. But I've heard people saying they've got to drop Ash Klein long term. No. no. Absolutely not. Put him on the biggest game this weekend. Yeah. You know, I've made a mistake once. Said I was wrong when I wasn't. But no, seriously, we all make mistakes. Ash Klein made a mistake. We want He's a good referee. We want him to keep on doing what he's been doing. I'd actually go the other way. I'd put him on the biggest game this weekend and say, we all make mistakes, uh, but we admire the fact that you were willing to blow a penalty because you believed it was a penalty. So move on. Do your job. And anyone who thinks that they're going to watch rugby league and not see the odd referee mistake might as well fly to Pluto. Yep. Right now. Right now. In fact, I'll take you there. I'll be back, though, in time to call Dragon's Nights on Sunday, was. <laughs> because we watch a lot of sport, and in every sport, oh. there is controversy about officiating. The NFL, they don't know what the hell a catch is. The players, commentators over there, fans, losing their minds about the officiating in the NFL. If you listen to any podcasts about the NBA or watch or the, the NBL. NBA. Or right the now, NBL. in grand final series, everyone is saying the referees, no good, hopeless. Guess what? It's two all. And the same people criticising the referees are saying this is the greatest grand final series there's been. Well, what is it, boys? One or the other. That's you right. can't have it both ways. And, there's, and every time they say, we need better refs. Well, I've got to tell you, there's no group of referees hiding in the jungles of Botswana <laughs> who've been trained up and are ready to go at a moment's notice. They're boarding the ship to come across and referee games in the NRL. It just doesn't happen. They are trained professionals. There is no group on the planet who are better <laughs> accustomed, better prepared to referee NRL games. And if you think there's anybody else out there who is, you are dreaming, people. You are dead set dreaming. They're going to make mistakes. Mm. It happens in all walks of life. It's hard to accept sometimes when it decides a game like that, but that's life. And you know what? If the Tigers, if their season crumbles in round three on a golden point loss, no matter the fashion it happened, forget about the circumstances of it, but if 
if they can't make the eight, if they can't be a contender, if they can't win the comp because of what happened in Golden Point in round three, then they're not the team that I thought they had showed they were in the first couple of rounds and they don't deserve to be a contender later in the season anyway. They won't be a contender if this affects them. Well said, was and you've sold me. I'm not going to Pluto, I'm going to Botswana. And just as a little tail end of that, I reckon Ivan Cleary handled it really, really well. He thought we got dotted, it was a mistake, but he said we all make mistakes and let's move on, giving the players no excuse this weekend to blame anyone but themselves. I don't think there are any mistakes in this podcast. I'm pretty sure there weren't. <laughs> that is, you can take me now. I have seen it all for another week.